I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. since 71 podcast um, I've got to say this is an episode that I've been really excited to record um, today we welcome former Scotland international and former team G player Ifioma Daiki you can probably just correct my pronunciation there if you like Ify because uh, I've probably butchered it so I apologize straight away off the bat no, no worries. Uh, no one even calls me that so I don't know if anyone recognizes my full name but Ify is uh, that's fine and with us today, we have one of our other Since 71 contributors, Daisy. Um, Daisy's making her podcast debut, um, and she's going to be giving me uh, a little bit of support while we catch up with Ify and find out all about her career and um, paying particular attention to the uh, t- London 2012 uh, Team GB experience that she had. But how are you doing today, Daisy? Are you well? I'm good, thank you, yeah. Excellent. So we'll, we'll jump straight into it. So just to start off with, Ify, could you tell us a little bit about yourself with regards to what sort of position you played on the pitch and you sort of your, your character in the match? Uh, obviously, when I first started out, I started out playing, I think, right wing back in the day. And uh, just throughout the years, different coaches, uh, whether it was injuries, I got slid back at the centre half. And that's where I ended up playing uh, most of my career, uh, especially with Scotland and then obviously club. And obviously, uh, hence, you know, maybe that's where I was selected also for Team GB. So just throughout the years, you know, played every position. Then obviously, as you go back, you understand the game a bit better and work with different coaches and you see a game from a different point of view. So uh, I wouldn't say I was a, a hard-nosed defender. I would have said that I was more of a, you know, stand-up defender and always worked well with uh, my centre-half partners who were, you know, who we complemented uh, each other well with, whether it was Shelley Kerr, who was more robust, Rachel Corsi. Um, but again, it was just that balance, that relationship. And definitely one that um, probably used my head a lot more, didn't get a lot of bookings uh, as I played. Um, quick and I think able to read the game pretty well. So you find that experience playing further up the pitch helped with with your time at the back? You, you knew what the, your, your teammates would want from you? Yeah, exactly. Especially I think in possession, you know, in terms of different angles, what position they'd be looking to to receive the ball, things like that. And, you know, when you put yourself in someone else's shoes, you know, it's easier to, you know, like to then understand uh, the game a lot more. So I think that definitely helped me playing, uh, you know, whether I played, you know, defensive midfield, played on the wing, you know, obviously in the Cyprus, I played as a forward. So I had a lot of fun, you know, uh, playing different positions. And then just eventually as I got older, you know, Went back, followed back, as they say. But, uh, <laughs> no, I enjoyed my time, obviously, because, again, back there, 
you know, as you're playing, it becomes more about reading the game and it becomes more about being more vocal, which when I was younger, I wasn't very vocal. Um, but as I got older, I, uh, you know, learned off of, you know, like the older players and began to, began to talk. And then obviously by talking and communicating and moving people about, that also helps you and helps the team out because before it even gets to you, you can, you know, like, like they can move them around like chess pieces. Um, so I think that's important to have that, you know, that communication and leadership, especially from a central position in the back. Definitely. Um, I, I, I tend to drop my Saturday youth team into podcasts quite regularly. My haven't and Waterlooville under 15 girls. And that's the, the exact message we're trying to get across at the moment. A lot of my players have only been playing for two, three years and, while they're picking up the skills fantastically well, they're still very silent on the pitch and they're just starting to realise you get that communication, it kind of knits everything together and it, it just makes the game easier to play. Yeah, definitely. Saves your legs, you know. Um, maybe people would say that I don't like to run much. I can run, you know, but, you know, if you can move people about, then it saves you. It definitely saves your legs and saves your energy and things like that. Um, so use your brain more. Um, but that's also a good thing. And a good leader delegates. So if you if you've got someone that you think's a bit bit sprightlier, then uh, yeah, you can uh, certainly uh, delegate that to them. So and obviously the, your amount of experience. What I find really interesting about your career is obviously you you grew up in Scotland. Am I right? Yeah. But you, did you did did you play it? You didn't play for any Scottish teams, did you? Well, not no, professionally. I, no, I mean because obviously back then there wasn't. Um, thinking the. Because uh, I played like, under 13 at Commonwealth Cosmos, um, and then they had an under 16 team. And after under 16, it was just like, you know, an open age. Um, so I was only there, you know, because we were very successful. Obviously, a little town outside of Glasgow, very successful, you know, the 13s, the 16s. And then when I went to the Commonwealth Ladies, you know, at 16 years old, I was competing with, you know, uh, players uh, probably 20, like eight to 10 years older than me. But that, for me, definitely stood me in like good stead uh, because you got in a, you know, a changing room at 16 and obviously I was in awe, like a total respect for, you know, my elders, uh, you know, grown women who had been playing a long time, obviously more like more physical, physically developed than me, uh, stronger. And so that also, as a youngster, you've got a, you know, like it teaches you a lot. And, you know, we had a great, you know, a great changing room, uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of characters, which, you know, when I look back on, it was like, you know, two of the best years that I had, you know, not just uh, on the pitch, off the pitch, successful, you know, but great, you know, great uh, leaders, role models and you know, players that when I was under 16 that, you know, they would come in, have conversations with us and like we were starstruck because that's what you aspire to be. You want to be not just in that team, but, you know, be accepted which is the biggest thing. Um, and, you know, now being a part of that and being a part of that success, you know, you want to be able to, you know, get in there, get your head down and work hard so that you'd be accepted. And that definitely stood me in good stead uh, for the two years that I played uh, with Commonwealth Ladies. And then also took into the fact that, you know, uh, I got the scholarship and I was able to, you know, accompany America, accompany Miami, and then basically further uh, my footballing uh, journey for there. So it's obviously quite a common road for female footballers to go over to the States because of the quality of the coaching, the quality of the facilities and the investment in the players and the teams. Was Did you ever see a pathway to professional football remaining in the United Kingdom? No, not at that time, not in the 90s. Um, I think back in the 
in the nineties, it was all about you know sitting at the end, met the Americans being the you know the best, the best athletes, the best mentality. And you know, for me, when I was in Scotland, having played for two years, you know, we won the treble two years in a row. And even at eighteen years old, I felt I couldn't go any further in um, in Scotland. And so for me, it was I always had the ambition to test myself you know, against the best. And at that time, it was being in America. So there was always a, the thought of, you know, getting to America. And there was always the scholarship, um, the scholarship way. And having players uh, on my team that had gone over in Miami uh, during the summer for a couple of summers and played semi-pro. So that was, uh, that's how Miami got in my head because they would talk about their experiences like that. And uh, Miami's a far cry from, uh, you know, Glasgow, the weather and just everything. And, you know, I remember also... You know, Will Smith's video in Miami, Welcome to Miami, and seeing that and just thinking how amazing that would be to go from Cumbernauld to Miami. And the coach for my players, uh, my teammates who played semi-pro, he was English, so he had come over and watched the game. And just from there, um, it was a semi-final, I did all right. And then he basically started talking to me and asking me, you know, like if I'd fancied, you know, coming over to Miami, a scholarship, and just, you know, things fell in place that way. And then, of course... You know, there was a there's a difference in the system in terms of the schooling, the thing, the test that you have to take, and also knowing that you know, looking at the school uh, to see what degree I'd be interested in taking, which was also that which was important to my family. You know, that you know I'd combine my studies as well as the footballing aspect. So everything was a a win-win situation, and you know, then I I mean, even going into that, I had no idea how far I could go. I just thought the next step from playing, uh, you know, with the females was to come to Miami and then that's about as far as it got to. And then obviously things kind of snowballed and took off and um, went well for me, I guess. So obviously when you were growing up, who was your biggest footballing inspiration? It's a good one. Uh, I, I would say it was really looking up to, you know, the men's teams. Um, you know, I was... Uh, from when I lived in England for a few years, um, something about watching Manchester United resonated with me. Um, I just remember, you know, watching the game. I think it was my United playing Norwich, and something about that just, you know, I was, I was. That's when football somehow grabbed me, and obviously learning about Sir Alex Ferguson being from Scotland, things like that. And then I just watched my United. So growing up and watching United play through the years, it was players like, you know, for me, Roy Keane. Uh, uh, Eric Cantona, I remember the World Cup '94, watching Brazil play. You know, watching Romario, Bebeto, players like that. So it was a lot of the male, you know, the male players. Because I don't remember, you know, even if you're thinking about, you know, the US winning the World Cup in '99, that's not televised all the way in Scotland. So a lot of the things that you see, you know, in Scotland was, you know, the male game, which is, you know, like if you love football, you enjoy that, and so you always aspire to to play football, not knowing that, you know, females can. But obviously nowadays, you know, there's a lot more female role models and um, that, you know, females can actually relate to. Not saying that they can't relate to the men's, but when you see someone that, you know, is female, like you, that's done it, been there, done that, that's definitely uh, maybe more inspiring than the men's game, which is a little bit different from the, the women's game. So you were born in the United States to Nigerian parents, but moved to Scotland when you were three years old. So you could have qualified for th- all three different nations, but you opted to represent Scotland. Was there ever any question of which country you'd want to represent? Uh, not really. Um, I would say when I was playing football, it wasn't like 
playing international football wasn't something that I'd even focus on, on or something that I was like, oh, I want to play for you know this country or whatnot. I was just happy playing football. Um, so once I had that, that was all that mattered. It was only as you know things progressed. I think uh, obviously, you know, obviously I had teammates from the Scottish national team that would always say to me. But until I think the coach Vera Pau had reached out, um, I think the second time, it was one of those conversations because the league had folded here and things like that. Then it became right, you know, thinking about international football. Um, and I got invited over to a couple of camps um, with Scotland, which obviously I knew, you know, the players having grown up with them, playing with them, against them. So that was just an easy fit, really. And then it was a couple of, a few months into having been with a couple of camps with. Uh, at Scotland that my former coach at uh, university had contacted uh, April Henricks, the um, US coach at that time. And so the plan was to go into camp with the US uh, for a couple of weeks in you know California, uh, just to, you know, just go into camp. Um, and that was, and that was just something that it was going to collide obviously with a, a Euro, you know, a European game um, for Scotland, but I was doing it. And then, um, and then all of a sudden, like just as time like got approached and got closer, I wasn't excited about that prospect. And then came to a realization that, you know, if you're going to play for a country, you know, you have to. It's not a, It's not like playing for a club team. You know, there's a, you've got to have that pride, that passion, that heart. And yeah, I was born in America, but I didn't feel American. So it would just be like you know, ticking a box. But you know, singing the anthem wouldn't have meant anything. Things like that. So obviously I had to make the phone call uh, to April and just said, you know, thank you for the opportunity. But uh, I just came to the decision that, you know, I'm going to play for Scotland. You know, I felt Scottish. having grown up there. Um, everything about Scotland just, you know, just resonates with me. And, you know, I've got to be, you know, truthful to myself. It doesn't matter, you know, what the, you know, the opportunities or you know, the financial stuff that, that comes with the USA. Um, that's just not how I felt. Uh, and in terms of Nigeria, again, it was one of those things that no one ever reached out. So I never had a decision to make about Nigeria. Uh, obviously, the two countries were obviously being in touch with the US and then obviously, you know, uh, Scotland. So for me, it only came down between those two because that was the communication that I had back then. Um, and yeah. I'm impressed that you've managed to keep your Scottish accent, to be honest. I, I travelled across America a couple of times when I was younger and... <laughs> It took me about two days before I started speaking in American twangs. No, no, I've got an American accent. It's just that, you know, because, again, if I speak to somebody from home, it's just, like, it's easier. But over here, like, when I went to, you know, college, the number of times I had to repeat myself over and over and over again and just, like, little words, like, I remember I was, like, saying that, oh, you know, like, uh, like let's meet in the car park. And they were like, what? I was like, the car park. And I didn't know the American phrase, how to phrase that in America, like, you know, how they said it. And I just couldn't understand that they can't understand something as simple as a car park. How do they say and it? And then uh, a parking lot. Oh, yes, I guess, yeah. Oh you, oh, you mean a parking lot? I'm like, how do you not get car park from parking lot? You park your car in the car park. But, yeah. you know, so all these little subtle, uh, so like sudden different changing words, phrases, things like that. And then, over time, it's like it's like a light switch. I can go from it's easy to go from uh, American English to and uh, Scottish, but then to try and get back to American English, it's I've got to kind of think about it a little bit more. But it's more natural to just be like right Scottish. So I remember again, you know, because I was working with Amazon a little bit, and someone's like, oh, like we what hear your accent. So certain words they can hear, 
And so I was speaking Scottish and whatnot, and I was training somebody in there, and I was just thinking, I can't get back to my American accent. I just don't know how to do it. And they were just laughing at me because all of a sudden I've started training someone and I was speaking obviously American English, and then to come back 10 minutes later, it's just completely different accent. They'd just be like, what? So it's definitely more natural in the Scottish, but I try to, you know, like whether it's coaching, uh, speaking to anybody, it's easier for the Americans with that. But there's obviously certain words that will always be, you know, like Scottish, and they'll be like, oh, I heard it there. And I'm like, well, that's just how we say things, you know. Yeah, oh, excellent. So moving um, moving on to uh, London 2012, um, it, it kind of resonates quite a lot with me at the moment because we're on the cusp of the Team GB Tokyo Olympic team being announced. Um, you were one of the only two non-English players that were selected for the London 2012 Team GB women's side. Could you tell me a little bit about how you first became aware that you were being considered by Hope Powell and the coaching team? Um, I remember like leading up to it, obviously, there was a lot of the, you know, the debates and the political things uh, about, you know, like, will Scottish players play, you know, the FIFA stuff, like, would they take away, you know, Scotland's independence and would they all be, things like that. So there's all those like, things lingering on. And for me, I was always the mindset that, you know, I left because it was always about leaving your name in the, you know, name in the ring because at the end of the day, like, you don't have the decision to make if you're not selected. So, you know, I think, you know, I've spoken to, you know, obviously some of the Scottish players at the time and it was just a case of, well, leave our name in and obviously there's there's rounds that you go through for the cuts and, you know, if I get selected, I get selected and I've got a decision to make. But until then, there's no decision to make. So, you know, I don't even think about it. I just continue on, you know, playing uh, doing what I was doing, I think I was playing in Cyprus at the time. So I remember, um, I think before the announcement, I think it was a week before or a few days before or whatnot, get, uh, it was Anna Signal who had um, just kind of given me a heads up that, you know, Hope Hill was going to be calling me and just saying that, you know, I've been selected. Uh, and it was just kind of like, you know, it was just like, oh, she, I'd be getting a call from Hope. And I was just like, wow. Because again, you leave your name in and you just think, don't know. I just want to just get on with it and not even think about it. And you kind of forget about it because it's like months and months, like, you know, before. And so I remember getting a call that morning from Hope and just telling me that, you know, she'd like to select me. And, you know, obviously I would have to say yes and things like that. And it was just like, even though I knew it was coming, but it was just still like, wow, it's actually happening. And, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, and I just welcomed me to, you know, be a part of uh, history and things like that. And it was just like, wow. And it was just like, got off the phone, had that moment to myself. And then obviously, you know, I spoke to, you know, my family were the only ones that I, uh, that I told. And then just wait for everything else to, to take place. And uh, it was just, uh, yeah, I couldn't believe it really still. Um, even looking back now too, it's just, I can still remember that conversation. I can still remember, you know, where I was. And things like that, and um, yeah, just obviously, an, like an honour to be even like to be considered, but obviously to be selected and to be part of history. Which uh, you know, when you look back on, I'm just thinking that's I think that's pretty cool. I would look at that definitely and think that's cool. During that time you were playing abroad, were you taken by surprise that Powell and the FA team were considering players playing outside of the UK? Uh, I don't think I was taken aback. Um, obviously, obviously, I played uh, having that international experience. I think definitely helped, and maybe they're reckoning because obviously playing the Olympics is worldwide. And obviously, I knew about you know Neats Anita Satney who had played in America and things like that. So being in touch with her and um, 
I think, you know, having that, you know, international experience was uh, maybe, you know, a key element. Maybe had I been playing in Scotland, I wouldn't have been selected. Um, so I think that I wasn't taken I wasn't taken aback by that, no. What were your first thoughts when you discovered that you've been selected into the final squad? Uh, just one of joy, really. Uh, just thinking, I've grown up obviously watching the Olympics, you know, from a kid and everybody watches it every four years. You know, sit down with my family, you know, the track and field events uh, is the biggest thing for me. So knowing that, you know, I'd be part of that. And, you know, you said to me, you know, I think when you said to me, if someone had said to me, one, like I'd play for Scotland, I wouldn't have believed them. If you said that I'd be being selected for the Olympics, you know, way down the line, I'd just tell them to shut up. So uh, it's just one of uh, absolute joys, like pride and you know, uh, just, a, like I said, a real honour and pleasure that, you know, that I was selected. And you were no stranger to the international setup and had over 100 caps for Scotland. Did the Team GB meetup feel similar to the experience of Scotland or being in the Olympics? Was it something altogether more unique? It was more unique in so many ways. Um, I think, obviously, being part of the international setup, you know, we've never gotten a tournament. So this was like the first time, you know, that, you know, Myself and Kim, we had gone to like being in like a tournament football, things like that. But it was like for games, two games, and things like that. But being like away, like in a bubble, the organization of London 2012. So it was a, a new experience in that way, but one that you know we were helped along the way to you know to navigate. Obviously, you've touched on the fact you were one of only two non-English players selected. Was that something you felt conscious of? Nah, not really, because when it comes down to it, uh, I think a lot more was made of that from, uh, I think, from the media side, uh, because it's obviously, you know, mainly English players. But I didn't look at that way and be like, oh, I'm just, you know, one of one of two. Um, because, again, I've, I know, I knew a lot of the players going out in the squad. Uh, I played, again, haven't played with them, haven't played against them. So it wasn't going to be anything of a shock or a surprise to us knowing that, you know, we knew the players, so it was more comfortable that way. Obviously, didn't know the coaches, didn't really know, you know, the coaching styles, how they worked, uh, because, you know, we've played for, obviously, with Scotland, it's different, or more club, it's different. So just the coaching side was the hardest part, just to see, like, well, what Hope wanted from, you know, from the team, the squad, the setup, and that's the only thing that was, uh, like, was difficult. Well, see, Powell described you as great at 1v1 defending, that you can play anywhere across the back. What influence does she have, like, on your game? The biggest thing is, um, you know, I remember, you know, when women's football was rarely on TV, you know, when uh, Hope played at uh, Wickham, you know, watching her play, you know, having known, you know, the background that she had as a player, uh, even playing for England and things like that, and, you know, watching her with Gillian Coulthard and, a lot of the, you know, the great, you know, English players that, you know, you see playing. So there's a lot of respect that way um, in just watching her develop and then watching her going out and coaching uh, and being successful with England. So there's that admiration for me that, you know, you look at not even just, you know, players who have played, but what she's done is her time. So I think you always pick up uh, things from a coach, and especially players who have had the experience in the game and obviously, you know, did well as a player. Um, and so just... Working alongside her, you know, it was just, uh, it opened up my eyes a little bit more on the, I would say the tactical a- aspect, 
and you know her using her experiences and you know even working with you know Casey Stoney as well you know and being like in that mode that I played with where whether it was like Shirley Care and things like that so that just thought I think that it, every time you work with a coach it does make you better you learn a lot more and so um I took a lot of that and then like from like from her into my game and you know she was definitely tough but demanding um and you but you always want that from a coach you've obviously touched on um two great defenders there in Shelley Kerr and Casey Stoney were you ever have you ever been surprised that they've gone on to do so well in uh, club and international management respectively no, not at all um I think out in the pitch when I was like when I was younger you can see that in her like the way that she commands like you know like commands a pitch, you know, like directs everybody, organizes everything. She's like, you know, she's not, she wasn't a captain for no reason. And you can see that with her in her leadership style. So when she obviously became Scotland, yeah, even from Scotland in the men's game, not surprised. And, you know, just like, just the way she is, not surprised. And then also it was, for me, it was a natural fit when Anna left that it was going to be Shelley. You know, I could always tell that, you know, she was like a Scotland manager and waiting, you know, just like I think right now I could be like Rachel Corsi is like another one in Shelley's mould. Um, and obviously having been in the setup uh, with Team GB uh, playing alongside Casey, I see a lot of similarities uh, in Casey as I did uh, as I do in Shelley. And so, of course, you know, she's gone on uh, being successful, you know, obviously started out with Phil Neville and then gone on to, you know, great heights with my United, you know, with only being a few years old. Um, but it's not a surprise at all just because of the way that they were in the pitch and, you know, now that, you know, like now they're in charge of a club or running a team. So, yeah, it was just natural. So talking about centre-backs you've played with that have gone on into management to do well, um, another centre-back you played with, uh, Steph Houghton, could you see her making that transition as well? Definitely. Steph is, I think, after actually London 2012, like she's gone on from, like, Big. Obviously, she scored the goals and all the attention came on her, rightly so. But, you know, she started out, it was like she played left back, obviously, for Team GB, and then obviously was at Arsenal for a number of years. And I think maybe going into Man City, where she was a pivotal figure, like, as they started their team, and being like in that central position and being like, you know, she's turned into, you know, quite the leader, quite the captain, and very important for club and country. And so not only her is on the pitch, but, you know, the things that she does off the pitch. So she's definitely, and everybody, you know, always talks about Steph, you know, Steph the player. But in terms of, you know, the hard work that goes into uh, from her and how she's had to, like, how she's worked even harder from 2012. Because some people could have just stayed lost in that, you know, on that focus, stayed lost in that, in that limelight. But she's actually taken it onto a completely different level and, you know, for her looking at 2012 and going into now, like she's a completely different player, more mature, uh, well, like more well-rounded, and yeah, like captain and and, and leader. You, yeah, you'd probably argue that apart from maybe Kelly Smith, she's probably the our generation between the our generation's um, two biggest players, really. I guess. Yeah, and she, the biggest thing with her is like she's been so consistent over a number of years. You know, obviously, I see this season she's got you know a couple of injuries, but up until then, you know, she's every game starts Man City. Same with England, and maybe even looking at the England results, the last few results, and with her not being around, 
maybe that's also shown, you know, like how important she is to England because, you know, as you get older, it's like, you know, people start talking about replacing you and things like that. But, you know, age is just a number as long as, you know, you still have that desire and things like that. So, you know, when you start to get over 30s, you know, people, you know, start writing you off and whatnot. And it's only maybe when you're not, you're not around that they actually see the real importance and how you are because maybe players will bypass centre-halves and be like, you know, you look at the midfielders, look at the forwards, they're more glamorous positions and things like that. But, you know, to have your leader and your captain who's back there, who's been there, done that through a number of years at the, high, at the highest level too, club and country, then it's like, right, actually, she is quite important no matter what other new centre-halves are actually coming along because nothing like replaces experience in my book and you know like you can have the up-and-comers but you've been there done that tournament football captain like I said and uh, maybe she's shown like how important she is actually to to England um, with them like not having her around. Definitely well I was in I was up in Stoke-on-Trent on uh, Tuesday for the match and uh, yeah she probably was missed to be honest Um, but we're all human. Unforced errors. Let's get them out of the way before the uh, Team GB comes around. That's the whole point of friendlies, isn't it? Right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So, talking about um, getting back to yourself, really, um, you made your debut with uh, Team GB against Sweden at the Riverside Stadium in uh, in Middlesbrough. What are your overriding memories of that game? <laughs> it was uh, one of just like you know, for me, it was just like try and keep it simple, you know, uh, you know working in, you know, I remember trainings, um, you know, the trainings were a completely different way from, you know, if, if I try to compare it, it's Scotland, you know, but it's hard to compare it because it's, when it's two different coaches, two different styles, it's like coming in a completely new ball game, no matter if you knew the players or not, you know, it's about, you know, they had the advantage, I would say the English players had the advantage of knowing how, you know, Hope and her coaching staff worked, so it was kind of coming in, learning, like, learning from her as soon as possible because it's like, right, Spotlights on everybody, you know, but they're not just here to then like make up numbers. You want to then push, and, you know, to be in that starting lineup. So then it's like, you know, you have to focus on the details more, ask more questions, you know, maybe instead of like, you know, off the pitch, you know, relaxing, you're, you know, staying tuned because you want to, I want it to be like in that starting lineup, that first game. So then, you know, obviously you have the opportunity, like, yeah, we've trained, we've trained and trained. And like I said, it was a case of, you know, thinking of the qualities, like what led me to uh, to be selected. Like, you know, nothing for me has to change because, you know, like the reasons why I was selected is the reasons why I'm here. So I have to keep it simple and, you know, like work with my centre-half, work with whoever I was going to be thrown with, work with my defence, to then be able to communicate, to then be, you know, aggressive in my defending and then relax in possession. So I remember that game going in and just thinking, you know, going through my my usual rituals of what I go into every game. So again, nothing changes in terms of my mentality, my focus, my preparation, that hat. And like maybe I had a bit of a upper hand, you know, maybe that was a good game for me at being Sweden because um obviously I haven't played in Sweden. <coughs> Excuse me. I knew the, I knew the players, I knew the opposition I was coming up against. So without, you know, the scout report, without all the videos and things like that, I knew, like, you know, the quality of the players I was going to face. So in terms of, you know, like, I think I remember going up against Sofia Jakobsen, Laura Colleen, things like that, I knew their quality. So that also helps me as a defender to be, like, right, uh, to be more determined and more focused and, you know, know their movement. And I think 
that game, I think I did all right. I think I was, you know, they said I was play other game or something like that. So I think, yeah, that was a good first game. And then that just helped me uh, in terms of confidence, knowing that, right, obviously I know my qualities, but it's more about putting it into a new team setting. And then obviously it's like on a big stage. Um, so that definitely, you know, helped me, um, helped me settle more in the team and then just have the confidence going there from there on. Were your family able to come down and watch any of the games? Uh, I believe my mum and dad were in Nigeria, uh, but I had like some family and my brother came down for, for, for the, the first two games and had friends uh, as well for the first two games. So yeah, because obviously it's, well, it's local, as you say. So yeah, they were able to drive down and come down to some games. And so you obviously went into the Olympics with only one competitive game together as a team. I wondered if there was a feeling within the squad that you were satisfied that you felt prepared after that, just a single game, or whether you felt that you were at a disadvantage over other teams? We never thought about it or even talked about it. Uh, I think the way that, you know, because um, when we worked, we worked. And there was never a, the mindset of, well, we've not had the preparation, things like that. Um, I don't think it was, I think, again, because it was mainly the England squad, so... There was only a couple of players outside of that. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, Kim, you know, she's intelligent. And, she, again, she's played with a lot of those players. And it's easy for her to go play anywhere. You know, I think, let's say, like, good players can always, you know, you know, play together. And so there wasn't much of a tweak, say, from the England team. And so there wasn't that or that lack of preparation because it's not like you're trying to, like, knit together, like, a completely brand new team by having like six, seven, eight players and come in and fit into your style. So I don't think that that was never a talk. That was never an issue. Just in my head, I was just thinking, right, you know, they've got the upper hand, but, you know, it's about me getting on board and then just um, try to, you know, like understand like what is expected from the, from this team. Um, so that was never, there was never a talk of we didn't play enough because uh, we worked, you know, we worked a lot during, you know, training sessions and, um, you know, to replicate the movements. And then, I guess, so that was, that was enough. And so it, it, you think it would be the same for the, uh, for the current team that are going to go to Tokyo, if, even though they've not had the, the preparation, you think with all the games within the Champions League and the WSL that they should be able, and the professionalism that they possess, they should be able to make that transition quite smooth? I think it's going to be, I think it was going to be different uh, for a, a number of reasons. Um, I think back then, like Hope had been the England manager for a number of years, so I think all the English players knew, you know, what to expect, the style of things like that. With Hegarise only taking over not too long ago, you know, with the last couple of squads, she's had a lot of different players. She's had a lot of injuries, so they've not had like a like a, a solid group really to know the way that she wants to play. And then I think. If you're looking at selections, you know, for that, you know, there's going to be definitely more than two non-English players in that squad. Uh, so then that's going to be another added dimension where, you know, maybe if you're talking now, the English players, you know, haven't quite figured out or not figured out, kind of got down how she wants to play first. So that's not knitted together as, as nicely, I would say, as uh, it was in 2012 then you're going to add into the mix of you know not non-English players, which, like I said, I believe is going to be more than two. I'd be shocked if there's not more than two, you know. So then you're going to add that into the frame. So then you're going to have a group of, I think it's, it's 18 
I think it was 18 and 4 reserves, unless that's changed from back then. I don't know. And it might have changed because of COVID, I'm not sure. But you're going to have a bigger squad, and then you're thinking, not even the squad, then you're thinking, first game, like what players are you thinking of playing, what formation, um, and things like that. So I think there's going to be a lot more challenges this time around than there was last time. But you're still going to get the same preparation time because you'll have the FIFA windows um, that apply in terms of you know, you're limited and you know what you can do because uh, we had one official friendly. Obviously, you have like you know uh, you know like friendlies like the squad friendlies and things like that. Um, but again, these players are you know they're used to playing with each other against each other. So in terms of the chemistry on the pitch, it's not going to be again. Good players can always play with good players, and there's enough good players available to have like the best squad possible going at that tournament. Yeah, I think you're right. There's got to be more than two in this current squad. I can think of, at the very minimum, there's got to be at least two Scots players that are going to be in that squad, in Aaron Cuthbert and Caroline Weir. Just, just to name just the two. Yeah. So, like, even, like, you know, people are saying, oh, it's just Scotland, but you've got to look at also Wales also. I mean, Northern Ireland also is just qualifying, you know, like for their first Euros too. So, you know, you don't become, you've got to have some, you know, but it's also about a team, you know. Um, you don't know what, you know, the selection process will be. And I think they'll say the best players. I don't know if they'll look to, you know, pick players to represent all four nations and things like that. Um, but, you know, there's good players in Wales, um, good players in uh, Scotland, Arts, Northern Ireland. But it's about net together a squad. And is it going to be taking six players, seven players out of the 18? Is that too many changes to then, you know, net together like uh, a competitive quality squad that's going to compete right off the bat? Um, so it just depends on how, you know, Hege Risa is thinking in terms of that. But right off the bat, you know, I'm thinking like Scottish players, uh, you know, Caroline Graham, Erin Cuthbert, Kim Little, for sure. And then, you know, there's, uh, and then those three players right there as well, you know, they've had that relationship. You know, if I look at Kim Little, you know, she's been at Man City, so she's, uh, you know, used to play, uh, not Man City, she's been at Arsenal, um, but she's used to playing with, uh, you know, Steph. Uh, she's got that relationship with Man City players that played at Arsenal. Uh, even someone like Jennifer Beat, if you're looking at centre half, because it's all about those relationships of those players. You know, she's been at Man City where she played with Steph. A lot of the Man City players have been at Arsenal. There's a lot of connection there. So if you're looking at connections and relationships on the pitch, you know, I would say those three players are the ones that have got uh, the most experience with a lot of the, you know, the players in the England squad. Um, so I'd be shocked if those three are not in it. Um, and then there's obviously quite, you know, there's, you know, like, you know, then you're thinking there's beats in there. Um, I know she's had a few injuries and things like that. Um, but, you know, squad selection as well, it's one of those, there's a long, well, a long time to go. You can get selected, you know, at the end of the month. But things change, injuries happen, so you know they'll have alternates that they're thinking of also. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. You know, I think you know the quality is definitely a lot more, so the selection is going to be tougher. And it's not like when you go to the Euros or the World Cup, you've got a squad of 23. The Olympics, like I said, is usually 18, and you've got four reserves. Um, and I don't know if those numbers are different. Like I said, the COVID. I, I believe sure. it's. I believe it's going to be the same. I think it's having that so then, small squad. Yeah. So as I'm saying, so obviously the Olympics is 18. Someone gets injured, and it's one of those four right there. So with, like, I don't even remember last time that anybody had a squad of 18. But so like, so the numbers are even tighter 
and like every selection you have to be yeah you know so again that's not I'm not I'm not the coach so I've not got that problem I'll just be sitting back and uh, watching but it's definitely going to be a uh, another unique experience um you know one that you know players will be you know first time Olympians they'll be second time Olympians as well um but just sit back watch and uh, I'm sure it's going to be a tough decision but it's going to be a, a competitive squad that's for sure do you think it will be important for players who were in the 2012 TV squad to be picked up this time for the experience? Yeah, definitely. I think there's no substitute for experience. And uh, the Olympics is not like a Euros or a World Cup. Uh, it's definitely bigger. Uh, the things that are involved in terms of, say, even like the kitten out process, you know, so there's a lot of things that are so different than you don't, you know, having the players who have been there that can also help. So, you know, you're not overawed by the experience. You're not overawed by, you know, the requirements of, uh, you know, Team GB um, and going through that process. I think that's going to be important. Um, you know, having a good, you know, mix of, you know, experience will settle everybody down. And, you know, even going into the game, because again, you've played, you know, I think they play, we played four Olympic games. Important and it'll be nervy because it's a new experience. Um, but yeah, experience is definitely going to be key, I would say. So you participated in the first two Team GB games, that friendly against Sweden and uh, the group first group stage game against New Zealand, at which point we hadn't conceded a goal. How are you feeling going into the second game against Cameroon? Yeah, I think, you know, like the more you play together and, you know, I always think that, you know, the foundation to, you know, success is always, you know, defensive solidity uh, as a team. Um, so going out in the first game, obviously it was just like the first game ever. Uh, there was a lot of attention. You know, I think at that point, you know, playing in front of 30,000 people was, you know, quite new. And just uh, we didn't feel like there was pressure, but knew there was eyes on us uh, for a number of reasons. So going in after that, knowing that, you know, we just getting the win, but getting the win with a, you know, with a clean sheet, that also helps to, you know, to, to relax you. And then you just start knocking it out because, the goal was to, you know, you to qualify for the next you know, the next stage and so then you take off that first box and that play the greatest game, but, you know, we got the win. So then that breeds confidence into you, um, knowing that, you know, New Zealand too are, you know, been to the Olympics a number of times, been to the World Cups a number of times, so a very experienced team that have played together you know, a number of years, good players as well. So that gave us confidence, you know, going into the second game, knowing that, right, that was a tough game, a real tough game for us to start off with. And um, we came through that that test and then going into the second one, it was like, right, this is a this is a key game, but one that, you know, um, we're boosted by, you know, the win, the clean sheet and then the sway of the nation, you know, getting on board. So that was just like, you know, they jumped on the bandwagon, the wave and that then gave us extra confidence going into the second game. It was fantastic. I managed, I, I didn't set out prior to the Olympics to go to any of the games, but I just, it was very fortunate that a friend of mine had a, bought a ticket for a game up at Old Trafford. Um, and then I think I went to, a, I think it was Ghana, Japan at Wembley and I saw some beach volleyball that friends just had tickets. And I'm, I'm really, really glad that I did get an opportunity to go because seeing it firsthand, I'd have kicked myself afterwards if I'd missed it because it was just fantastic even seeing some of the smaller sports yeah it just that buzz is just it's it's incredible it, it must be it must just have been so infectious when you're there as an athlete 
Yeah, I mean, even for us, like, even though that we were based in, like, Cardiff, you know, if you think about it, the hub was, like, London for, you know, track and stuff. But, you know, getting to go to the, the village, you know, the Olympic village and getting that tour and getting that experience and how, like, you know, like, how it would be when actually all the athletes are there. And I remember meeting um, uh, uh, Dane Kelly, uh, Holmes, and things like that, and just being, because you see them on TV, on telly, and, like, they're, like, for me, the cream of the crop. And at the top of their game and things like that, and just like legends of the sport and like Team GB Olympians, and you know meeting Sir Chris Hoy and you know things like that. You're just thinking like, wow, it's just like, and you know like I remember Hope always said I was like, you know, they're no different to us, but I still see them very differently because you know again growing up watching the Olympics, you're just you're just in awe for me, and I'm I'm just kicking the ball about. But, uh, you know, so getting that, you know, there's just so many you know facets to the Olympics that you know outside of it that. You don't even realize and just experiencing that the the media attention maybe it's like maybe back then again it was different because there wasn't so much media attention in the, the female game now it's obviously a lot more but the olympics is like no other i mean this is worldwide where it's been all across the world world and the numbers that are involved in that is just it's it's just it's just incredible did you think about it at the time did it make you nervous at all I don't think about the time. Obviously, it's just uh, it, if you think about it, I think you'd get overawed by it, you know. So for me, I just took it back to like I'm just playing football. I stay in my zone. It was only, you know, I remember when we got to our hotel in Cardiff, like you know, uh, the the hotel being decorated, like messages of support as we went on and on, and you just see pictures of you know young girls and you know with the you know the British flags and the messages of support reading through like the clips and the papers and stuff like that. And even afterwards, I remember I've got like a whole, like every single article um, that was, uh, or I think it was every single article they sent, like I think it was, a, uh, was it Team GB? We got sent like a like a book of that. But even looking back on that, you're just thinking, wow. Because for me also, like I, I wasn't on social media then because, you know, good or bad, I wasn't on social media because you don't want you know, your head to go and like, I'm in that bubble, I'm here to do a job. Um, and the people that, you know, text messages and things like that, that was like, you know, my circle. So, you know, that's all that mattered to me. You know, it's about staying grounded. Um, but we also got clips of it afterwards and just messages of support and the wave and how it all took off. It was just like, it's just, when you look back, it's just like, wow. So you know that you're doing it for the nation and, you know, everybody's behind you and the home Olympics that you're thinking, you know. Um, but bigger and bigger and then like I said it got bigger and bigger till obviously it got to Wembley where you know um, yeah you know Brazil and Wembley which you know 70,000 in front of that um, so I may have missed out on that but yeah <laughs> moving on to that heartbreak sadly um, in I think it was it game three against Cameroon that you were stretched yeah. off so yeah you... second game in the Olympics like that one but could you tell me a little bit about what happened? Uh, you know, uh, I remember, like, it was basically something that I've probably done every single time. I basically, you know, went to plant my stud and then turn, but, you know, my studs haven't caught on the, caught in the grass. So as I've, so I've slid, as I've kept on turning. So a movement that you know, I do over and over again. And, uh, again, I just slipped. So as I've slipped, I've turned, and then that's it. So I've got the turf, and I just remember, like, thinking I remember my first thoughts as I'm down on ground that the, the Cameroon forward is through and going I'm thinking oh, I hope it's going to kill me here and uh, but I couldn't get up and so obviously medical staff came on 
did all their stuff, all their tests, whatnot, and just knowing that I couldn't walk off. I don't think I've ever been in a situation where I've never been able to walk off the pitch. Uh, so that's the first time ever and the only time I've ever been stretched off. Um, and so, you know, then went down the tunnel, you know, where they've, you know, had, uh, you know, like more time to have a look at it, things like that. Um, but I had no idea, you know, the severity of it. Um, and, you know, we thought, we didn't think it was worst case scenario. I've never ever injured my knee in any way. Um, so I don't know what that feels like or have any ideas about that. Hamstrings, you know, a little muscle injury, sure, you'd have an idea. But this was completely new to me. So I was kind of out of my depth and relying on the medical people to kind of, you know, guide me in this way. Um so, and then, so after the game, you know, went through, you know, the scans and things like that. So you're just waiting to hear. Um, and then a few hours later, you know, you know, I was in my room and, you know, the, the medical team came up to me and just kind of let me know, you know, what it was. And I was just thinking, Jesus, like, because you hear about it all the time. But, you know, I've heard about it, especially when I was in America. I think it was like such a common injury. Um, but just like, I was just like, yeah, I was... For, for those that don't know, what, what, what was the injury in the end? Uh, so I tore my ACL, uh, my meniscus, and then had an, an LCL sprain. So three ligaments in my knee. Um, and I remember KB, yeah, Karen Babler, just, she, she had said that she had had the pop. Because people always talk about hearing the pop um, when you do it. And I honestly, still to this day, I, like, I, I didn't hear it. Still don't know what it sounds like. But she was like, you know, 30, 40 years. I was just like, oh, like, so I don't know what it sounds like, but knowing that, you know, not just that one ligament, you know, three ligaments in your knee, and I think at 31, you you know, like, you just, like, I start thinking, you know, can I come back from it at that age and things like that, um, but I remember, like, my first phone calls being to, obviously, my mum, and I called Anna Signol, and then Joanne Wilson, uh, the physio from Scotland, at that time because then it was a case of right like I'm done and then within 48 hours I'm back in Scotland so for me then it was like right it wasn't like staying in this mindset of wallowing and knowing that my Olympics was done it was then trying to be like right you know like it's about you know getting the surgery because it was a case of I could do it anywhere and it was a no-brainer that obviously I was going to go home uh you know have the you know the people from who I know very well, who I trust to do it and guide me in that way to then start my recovery. And then once I got back up the road, it was then, you know, uh, maybe it hit home, you know, watch sitting down watching the girls uh, against Brazil at Wembley and knowing that, you know, meeting like, you know, the Royals, David Beckham, things like that. And it was definitely a tinge with sadness because, you know, even though that we don't look ahead, you know, when just following the path of beating New Zealand 1-0, beating Cameroon 2-0, and then the big game, like, it doesn't get any bigger. Brazil, Wembley, you know, so it's set up nicely for that, and that was definitely hard to then watch that, uh, see that, but also be happy for the girls, because, again, I've been in, I've been there, seen the preparation, and then, you know, as soon as we got to the the quarterfinals, I'd already made the decision that, you know, I wanted to drive down and, you know, go support the girls, and it wasn't about me, you know, I didn't even want to go to the team hotel, things like that, because I didn't want any dis- distraction about my injury and things like that. It was just solely be at the game, you know, uh, watch them, support them. Um, and then, you know. Um, you deserve was- that. You deserved it, ultimately. You're still part of the team. You're still yeah. part of that squad, very much so. Um, did it take, 
how long after London did it take to, for want of a better word, to get over that disappointment? Um, I feel like everything was a little bit delayed in so many ways um, because I think post Olympics there was a lot of um, like post Olympic events, which was uh, you know like had I been, you know when I look at it, had I been um, gone through everything and if I was fully fit. I wouldn't have got the chance to experience. So, like, we, I went to, obviously came back down to the um, London for the, the Olympic parade, which was you know, on the floats, which was incredible because, you know, just having people, and I've got so many videos and pictures from people hanging outside their windows, people stopping at Starbucks, you know, like, things like that, taking pictures, cheering, clapping, you know, meeting, like, Mo Farah, all the other Olympians also, and, like, things like that. Uh, then we had the you know Scottish one. They had uh, dinners. We had all that. So there's a lot of celebration post London, you know, post you know like post Olympics, that was just quite incredible. That actually I wouldn't have been able to experience because if I'd been back in Sweden playing, I would have missed all that. So that kind of took away from you know like you know being on crutches, my my surgery, kind of delayed things a little bit. But again, it's one of those things that I'll never get back. So. In the grand scheme of things, you know, I'm more than like more than happy with that. So I think once all that died down, so that was a few months after all that died down, and then I could then just get back into like everyday, go to physio every day in the cold, dreary weather, and you know, and then just try to think about right, you know, attacking the the rehab, and try to get back. Um, that, so, must, that must be hard. It's. I guess for someone that's never played at any sort of proper level outside of a school level, I, 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 the only thing I could potentially empathise or my, my own experience I could liken it to would be to coming back off a, a long holiday that oh, I'm back to real life. And it, that you must have been fell to earth with such a bump afterwards because after being on such a high and then so, just yeah. not even the low, just the normality of getting yeah. back to life. It wasn't even normal because for me, it was like, I hadn't been in Scotland for that long since I was 18 because obviously I've been abroad that whole time. You know, every time I finish a season in Sweden or in America, I'd be home for maybe a month. So knowing that I'm back kind of living in Scotland and I'm in Scotland for like eight, nine months, that was weird too because I've never been home that long. And it was just like I said, it was like, you know, that, you know, open the door, it's raining, you know, it's just like miserable outside. It's like all I've got to do is, you know, is rehab, you know, because I'm really used to, you know, training, things like that. And so every day it's the same. Um, but I would say the biggest thing, like, instead of feeling down for myself and the weather and things like that, I remember watching the the Paralympic Games and I'd never seen that ever in my life. So I think, again, off of the, you know, the Olympics and the high of that, it was then watching these amazing Paralympians like you know like swimming I can't even swim right and I'm watching swimmers who have like no arms or no legs swimming and doing like I'm just thinking like that 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 was it and you know I look back and I'm just saying you know that's just so inspiring to me like you know for me because you know that was just temporary you know Uh, my pain is just temporary you know and you can over overcome it It was the biggest thing is is a mental and emotional roller coaster because the physical as an athlete, you know, you fall down, you get back up. But knowing that something as big, for me anyway, as big as eight, nine months, it was that challenge. But knowing that instead of doubting myself, instead of thinking, will I ever be the same and whatnot, I'm watching these incredible Paralympians. So that I've got that map background to every time that I'm going through a tough day 
at rehab or whatnot and try to get down, not to get too down because, you know, they, they're they on the world stage and they're doing some incredible things. And that to me is just like, I was in awe of them. So that actually helped me to get through my journey and not just be like beat myself up and, you know, just knowing that, you know, I can do this. It's just, uh, you know, being patient, really patient, um, being at home for that long. Um, but, you know, everything has its challenges and this was another challenge. Looking back nine years on, how do you feel about your time representing Great Britain at the Home Olympics? Uh, definitely uh, one of joy. Um, I, I can't take anything but good things from that. You know, people always think, you know, or point out, you know, like my, my ACL injury. But for me, um, that, because everyone always has the cliches when things, bad things happen, everything happens for a reason. But that's the last thing you want to hear. But looking back now, in terms of how my journey went after that and how much longer that I played football and I never thought I'd play that long. So that might have been, you know, like, you know, I look at that as a blessing in so many ways. And so no matter what, the Olympics gave me, you know, the best moments, you know, even when it was a negative, it turned out to be a positive for the rest of my career. So it's something that, you know, I've got a lot of memories, a lot of joy, even speaking about it, looking at pictures, everything. It's just, um, it's nothing but, you know, positivity and one experience that I'm glad I took, uh, one that I took with the people that, uh, you know, that were involved in it, being the first and, um, definitely special if you could give any advice to any of the players who are selected for the Tokyo Games what would it be Tokyo Games uh, just enjoy it you know um, it's such a unique unique experience um, one that you might never get again um, and again just attack it like you'd attack any big any big game don't get overawed or even be on social media and look at what people say just stay in your bubble you know, in your own head, whatever got you there is a reason why you're there. And just don't deviate from, you know, who you are as a player and just stay in the moment. Thank you. Um, Ify, I'm mindful that we've kept you for well over an hour now. And and I, I think I said to you before we started recording that I'm pretty sure we've got a, a 30 minutes of uh, <laughs> good conversation here, but you've given us some really interesting insights into such a unique experience and you talk about being in awe of uh, players, uh, people like Mo Farah and uh, Dame Kelly Holmes kind of feel the same about yourself to be honest it's uh, an absolute <laughs> pleasure to speak to yourself you're uh, you you're you the way that you're inspired by some of the Paralympians uh, people like myself fans of women's football um, we feel the same about you to be honest thank you no I mean I, I like now that I finished I do enjoy talking about it. I don't do it very often, you know, but uh, when people ask me, I think it's important that, again, I never did a lot of interviews when I played. I just stuck to playing football. Uh, but I think being on the other side and the coaching side and speaking to the players that I coach, um, going through the experiences, I think when players have gone through those experiences, and uh, my biggest thing is like, is uh, sharing that. Uh, if I can give back to the players in my situation, if I can inspire players and just by talking about, you know, the good times, the bad times, whatever it is, giving them any kind of advice, then I think that's that's the whole part about, you know, inspiring the next generation is about, you know, telling them that, you know, sharing your stories, your experiences with that. Um, 
And so I enjoy doing that. I enjoy helping, you know, your younger players and and advice and experience. I'm always happy to help at any time. And I think that's so important because I've had my time. I've enjoyed it, but it's I know you've got me at 37 and Daisy at uh, 15 years old, so uh, it's going to be quite frightening. I, I think we'll probably end up seeing Daisy as part of the uh, Sky Sports team with, with the, the, the WSL, won't we, Daisy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, at 15, I couldn't have done that, but, you know, start young, but, you know, I mean, look at Alex Scott. I mean, <laughs> if I look at one women without the Olympics, and obviously I played without the Boston Breakers, and just watching her journey, like, like wow but never in doubt because Alex is you know such a great person such a good speaker so enthusiastic about you know what she does and you know so seeing her thrive and go on and bigger and better things like it's just it's really good to see and you know happy for her so she's just a game changer yeah, <laughs> she's just changed I mean, the game for everyone it's uh, it's, it's fantastic brilliant. It's, yeah it's brilliant to see so you know um, so everyone's got their part to play in in everybody's future and uh, yeah so Thank you for chatting with us. Good luck with your coaching. Well, thanks for having me. You know, it's been a blast to reminisce about uh, you know 2012 and uh, look forward to the upcoming Olympics and the selections. And uh, here is a uh, a job going at the Scottish national team. Any interest? <laughs> it's too cold for me now. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who, who leaves Miami for that? But um, again, thank you very much for tech giving up your time to, uh, to talk to us. It's been uh, a real pleasure and a real uh, real insight. And uh, thank you. No problem. Have a good night, and uh, you know, good luck with everything. Thank you. You take care. Uh, you too. Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.